The views expressed on the Nova Society are those of the participants and do not reflect the view of any institution any participant is associated with. We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society. And today we continue our panel discussion on the article, A Decade of Ideological Transformation Comes Undone and What the Congressional Anti-Semitism Hearings Really Mean. Today we're going to be talking about education, both higher education and for grade school. And whose responsibility are we failing the children uh, that we are teaching today? And is there a culture of indoctrination in the university system? So let's listen in. Scott, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, Trump, Trump kind of came into his own in 2015 and was elected, obviously, in 2016. The incident that the article is about took place in 2016. And it seemed to be a trend that was moving in that time that people were airing grievances, that every group, every different individual, every uh, every uh, demographic that you can think of was airing some kind of grievances. And the people that in the video that I watched um, that's attached to this article, you know, were very much aggrieved, um, seemed, well, not seemed, were offended by this older white man who had no business speaking to them. You know, they're blaming him for not knowing their names which could or could not be problematic. I mean, I think it's important to learn people's names as best you can. And his excuse of it's just something that I'm not particularly good at is kind of lame and not, and not very convincing. Um, that especially when some of the students had been in his class before, although I tend to forget my students' names once they're not in my class anymore. Um, and, and, you know, and I can, I can get them again, but there's a whole bunch of new students that are in my head, you know, at the moment, but the, the grievances that they were talking about, which was, I, I guess his crime, I, we should probably tell this for the people who are listening, who are not familiar with the article, his crime was that he and his wife refuted essentially a memo that had gone out from the school asking people to be careful about what they did on Halloween as far as choosing costumes are concerned and not to offend other people by doing such things as modifying their skin tone, which I, I believe is a reference to going blackface, right? Correct. Or wearing, you know, highly ethnic costumes, I guess, like putting on a big sombrero and walking around with a big, maybe a big mustache or something like that and a fake accent. And that, and that what he was saying was, you guys know this stuff already. You didn't really need a memo from the school to tell you this. So I'm kind of pushing back on that memo. This is kind of a silly thing to do. It was, I believe, a silly thing for the school to do as well. Um, At some point or another, you have to let the students be the students and trust that they're not going to offend one another. They're certainly sensitive enough themselves to understand that if something is offensive to them, it may be, you know, something else may be offensive to someone else and they're careful. You know, I, I find this... 
you know, probably since 2006 when I when I've been teaching on campus again after a number of years of being away, that students are very um, conscious of that, that there that there are differences that they need to accommodate for one another. But but I think that one of the things that's in the article, but it's not. I, I don't think it probably gets enough play was that right around that time. There were accusations that were later found to be without evidence that a fraternity had turned away African-American women from a party because it was a white girls only party and that that would cause people to be very, very much in on, um, you know, in arms about the racism and on the campus and that this guy just blundered into this debate without knowing what the stakes were and without really understanding what his admonition to students kind of being like, hey, you know what to do, just do, do the thing that you would naturally do, says to them. Having said that, you know, we're talking about like life on campus and whether or not, like how safe a safe space should be, I suppose. And I think it's really interesting that we know that we face a lot of problems in our society, right? And schools certainly echo that, um, are mirrored by that, in some cases cause that, and that at, at one point or another, the, the idea here is that being really liberal, but being illiberal towards those who are illiberal, is kind of the horseshoe effect where you're beginning to get closer and closer to the oppressors by oppressing those people than not. I, I think it's it's important for us to teach students as best we can as professors and that the idea of a safe space is kind of limited to the point where you, you do have to understand that not everything is to be taken like with offense that not all uh words are violent even repugnant words are not violent that every argument against you is not an assault on you that disagreement is not oppression and that you cannot stop other people from believing what they believe but you have to sort of meet them where they are and try to explain your point of view and and that's missing from the videos that are accompanying the article. And I think a lot of the debate, you know, I've had this, uh, I've had the experience of a student telling me that I'm not educated enough to be her teacher, an 18-year-old freshman telling me and and wanted to transfer out of my class. And I said, you know, if you want to transfer out of the class, that's fine. And she transferred to another class. She failed that class. <laughs> Karma. <laughs> was, Karma. I, I she, she failed it because the other teacher also wasn't educated enough to be her teacher. Excuse teacher me. shopping. So okay. I guess uh, like before, before, yeah, before I, uh, uh, yes, Brooklyn. Brooklyn and I are like, Brooklyn, I know, the the two, I know you're both chomping at the bit. <laughs> We're like let's, off each other. <laughs> let, let's first go to Brooklyn really quickly. What do you got, Brooklyn? Quickly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking, Scott, about what you said, what I would love to have done and what I would have done had I been in that situation in that university. I would have gathered the young white women together and gathered the young black women together, and I would have 
done a what is called caucusing on which is is or shuttle diplomacy you go you put these group this group or the this person in one room this one in the other room and you go back and forth because you want to hear fully what each group has to say and then you can bring them together i would like to know what what happened why what what caused the the um the african-american young women to be denied entry um what made the african-american girls feel offended and denied and devalued i would want to know how the white girls would feel if the african-americans denied them entry to their party because it should work both ways i would like to know whether there were any sort of agreement whether you could have an all-white party an all-black party a collective party i would just like to know what what happened and what the dynamic was and what each group thought and what happened when if they could come together and have a discussion that was moderated, facilitated, just I would use that <clears throat> as an educational construct, try to make this a constructive conflict learning opportunity moment. The same with the costumes, the same with the professor, rather than just saying, well, we're going to discharge you. We're going to. um to me, I mean, the whole thing is is um, this gigantic explosion that did not need to happen. It it just demonstrates a um, very unfortunate uh, decision in in my view regarding it. Um, you know, from the administration, um, I would have done differently. Well, in well, Brooklyn, I, about, I will go ahead. Go ahead, Priscilla. I'm the sorry. Thing <laughs> As our audience will know, we're now getting used to four of us being on the on the uh, on the thing at the same time. We will get much better at this as we move well, forward. I hope so. I mean, how many meetings, Mark, have you and I been in when there's four people in the room and they don't even talk? So, I mean, there's that. Yeah, but they're usually they sit and they they only show up to listen to you and me uh, banter back and forth on philosophical and ideological differences that we have about things. So there's there's a little bit of a different dynamic there. Sure. <laughs> Halloween costumes. So I actually support that they sent out the letter. Now, what the letter actually said, uh, you know, but I support the idea of the letter. Um, on one hand, we got people on a college campus. They're grown ass adults. We should be able to trust what they wear, right, for how, something like Halloween. But time and time again, these grown-ass adults also remind us that they are still cognitively children and make bad decisions. And so it's, I think it's perfectly fair to say, hey, you're in a public forum that you are paying money for. You're not at home. You're not at your best friend's house or whatever. You are here on this particularly defined place and we would like you to please be cognizant of what you're wearing now the pushback on that was um, from the masters which i thought was a really interesting title that apparently has a history back to slavery so i thought that was a really interesting uh thing that they've since changed priscilla wait i mean obviously masters has a has a connotation from slavery but the tradition at yale goes back to cambridge and oxford not slavery well, they, yeah, they, no, the, uh, the article maps. cited it. Yeah, the, the <clears throat> article cited it back to slavery. But Just one question. How many people are we talking about in this group of customers? Well, you're talking well, we about don't... the entire population <clears throat> of Yale University. 
Well, yeah. I don't see what's wrong with letting them wear what they want to wear rather than just, just for argument's sake, rather than sending out a letter and then calling everybody back in afterward and having a discussion. So, and apparently the letter was not written for Yale. It was written for a school that the uh, person who sent it out, the president of the school or whoever he was, uh, years earlier at a different school where there may have been more of a of an issue and maybe um, – uh, probably should thought about rewriting the letter for the Yale audience, not the school that he used to teach at. But apparently, he just duplicated the same letter. Well, so he plagiarized but, itself. Well, fair. Yeah. But the thing on this Halloween costume, like the purpose of Halloween costumes, is that you're putting on a costume, right? That's we've we've created a culture, a consumer culture, of mind you, of what costuming is. Like, it's this thing that you do, and you put on something else. The thing, the piece where I think it starts to get murky is that we also have a consumer industry of costuming that some of those costumes legitimately do harm to people who've been marginalized their entire lives. Like, is it okay for someone to paint their face blackface? Well, you know, those, the, you know, people of African American and black um, uh, populations can't take off their skin. So you, when you've got people who are doing it and then they're doing it, in jest and in humor, it really kind of is a bit offensive to the people who are on the receiving end of that communication. Is it fun and games in the moment? Sure. You know, another, um, like recently, I don't know if you've binge watched The Crown, which of course I did. I finished it because, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> this last season, you know, the William and Harry are now college age. And so they, they devoted time to the scandal of Prince Harry dressing up as a Nazi for a Halloween party, you know, and it's like one of those, like, okay, well, sure, you should be able to wear whatever you want to wear, but you put into the context of you're going to the school, you're coming from this particular background, and there are decades of history behind why that's a bad idea, you know, so it's, I think that what the, the piece there is that the learning isn't being made unless someone actually says, hey, it's a really bad idea for you to choose this particular costume. So, you know, at the same time that I think this this letter was coming out was around the same time there were some other social media instances of celebrities who were doing similar kind of bad idea costumes. And um, it was like, oh, you're getting you know, we start seeing the beginnings of cancel culture really starting to gain traction because it's like, oh, you probably shouldn't have dressed as blackface, you know, for this Halloween costume, famous person from famous show kind of thing. And so I, I, I do think that there on one hand, there is the in the aftermath, sit them down in a room and talk about the fallout of it and don't let it get to the point of being a screaming riot because no one's listening at that point. But on the other hand, there's the way of educating people that heads it off at the pass. I have a daughter um, and her first Thanksgiving, we're up here in New England, right? And so her first Thanksgiving, they're like, okay, we're going to dress up everybody as little pilgrims and Indians. Well, they said Native American, sorry, but that's really what they were, they were saying. And I'm like, <laughs> I emailed the teacher. I'm like, what is the tribe's name? And are you teaching my daughter how to pronounce it? I got such a blank stare at that, with that question. She's like, oh, what? Like, why would someone even care? <laughs> 
And I'm like, it cares because it's part of this history that we're trying to foster in young people. Let's let's get it right up front. And what's amazing watching this process is that all the things that we're talking about happening in higher education is not happening at K-12. And half of it is because the teachers and the districts aren't equipped to actually do it. Like they don't have it in their skill set or even, you know, uh, as Brooklyn was saying a moment ago, with state laws restricting certain things, school districts are like under heavy lockdown of some of the stuff that they can teach and not teach. So a teacher may really want to, but then actively can't. Priscilla, to what you were saying, actually, my daughter-in-law was just telling me something um, a few days ago where um, here uh, at my grandchildren's school district, they have to teach to the test and uh, to pass the test. It's all about passing the test. So they're not really teaching. And my daughter-in-law um, does not put up with any nonsense from anybody. And a few years ago, and my grandson is autistic, or he's on the spectrum, and a few years ago, um, he spoke up in class when the teacher was saying that herbivores do not eat meat. And he piped up and he said, yeah, deer eat bone, they nibble on bone, and they eat meat. And that happens to be true. And the teacher said, no, they didn't. And she called him out. Well, he went home and he told his mother. She went marching in there and she chewed out the teacher and said, you know, you have to, first of all, this, that, and the other thing. And secondly, you're, you can't be bothered to look it up. You've got Google right there. You can look it up. You can be sure that you're right before you say something that is incorrect. And uh, the, the teacher was just goggle-eyed and slack-jawed. And she said, well, we'll have to dig this up with the principal. And my daughter-in-law said, fine, I'll walk you right down to his office. And down they went. And the teacher got in trouble. So I was thinking, Priscilla, as you were speaking, that we we professors have to be keep up with our fields. Whereas when you're teaching to a test, to pass the test, you don't have to. You don't have to keep with any, uh, up with any new knowledge. You don't have to do anything. You don't actually have to know anything except the test material. Um, and that is not knowledge. And whatever knowledge children get, they're going to get from home. They're going to get from us, the parent. Or or we, the grandparent. Um, so we better know our stuff uh, to teach our children something and our grandchildren something. Um, and be, uh, uh, but not every child has got that advantage. Well, I think you uh, also parents, have to remember that a lot of teachers are there. There are very few degrees given out there on cultural sensitivity, and that is, you know, right here sitting here, you got you got four doctorates. There isn't a single one of us that has a doctorate in cultural sensitivity. I mean, we, we each can say we're sociologists, anthropologists, things like that, uh, and we have an understanding. However, it is not our area of true expertise when it comes uh, as far as education is concerned. So I'm going to ask, uh, last question going around the, going around the group here. Uh, Scott and I have discussed before that you would never see a program like All in the Family put on television today. And I came up with a new one as, as they were talking, Hogan's Heroes. You would never see Hogan's Heroes today. Is it because we've become too sensitive? Is the new generation today, and let's face it, these were popular shows 
back in, you know, mine and Scott's time, these were popular. They did not offend anybody. We took them for what they were. So if somebody dressed up uh, as an Indian or a Native American or whatever, nobody took great offense to it. It is just seems to be the generation today. Is the generation today, because of maybe these indoctrinations, are they becoming overly sensitive to things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things? And we'll complete this conversation in our Wednesday episode. We hope you join us. So that's all the time we have for today's episode. The Nova Society is a production of the Phoenix Research Institute. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, the Journal of Interdisciplinary Conflict Science. The JCIS is an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions on an ongoing basis. The JCIS is a publication of Nova Works, a scholarly depository at Nova Southeastern University. A link to the journal is in our description. We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, Audacity, who is our editing partner, and Podkite, who does all of our analytics. We'd also like to thank iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society. The Nova Society is available on all these and other quality platforms mentioned in our description. We'd also like to thank our listeners. Without you, the Nova Society would not be possible. If you have a comment, a question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Scott Gershwer, Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon, Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, and all of us here at the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.